Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of On the Fin Side here with Cat and Paul Pickin. Follow us on Twitter, On the Fin Side, and our Facebook page as well. We have a great show lined up for you tonight. Paul and I are going to go through the Dolphins' uh, draft and have a seven-round mock draft to see the differences and the similarities between what we think the Miami Dolphins are going to do on draft day. Um, so taking a look at, at a little bit of news first, uh, Steve Ross, there's a little bit of talk of, of him possibly having a succession plan uh, or at least starting to talk about it for the Miami Dolphins as the owner. Paul, uh, your your thoughts on that? I think that's a good thing. I mean, we've seen a number of sports franchises, not just in the NFL, but in professional sports in general, that haven't really had something like that, and they get tossed into utter chaos after the fact. So the fact that he's setting this up so there is a plan in place, if, God forbid, uh, he passes away, which he's not a spring chicken, he is up there in age. Um, there's a plan in place so that there's some continuity moving forward. And I, I respect that. I, you know, It's just like ha- having a will. Um, he's got something in place, essentially, in terms of in the unfortunate event. And Dolphin fans should appreciate that because otherwise it's just an absolute crapshoot. We may see Warren Buffett running around in an Indomitian suit uniform with shoulder pads on the sideline saying, I bought the team, yay! Um, you know, crazy <laughs> I, so <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Uh, yes, it might be anyway, <laughs> it would be, would make for some interesting, uh, comments from everybody. Uh, another piece of news, something that's been talked about. It's been a slow week here with the Miami dolphins as we're getting, uh, Creeping up here to the NFL draft, we've got a little bit over two weeks remaining. Deion Jordan uh, could be eligible for reinstatement within the next couple of weeks unless he has a Josh Gordon type of experience and fails another drug test. Paul, do you think that Deion Jordan is going to make it this, these two and a half weeks without peeing dirty? I do. Um, I think we're going to see – uh, one of two things with Deion Jordan. I think he's going to make it in two weeks, I hope. Uh, he is a guy that showed a lot of talent and gifts when he got a little bit of a chance before. And he could solve a lot of things on his defense and a lot of question marks um, that some folks have going into the draft. Because let's face it, Mario Williams is not young. Cameron Wake is not young. They've got a handful of young guys, but none that have shown a physical promise that Deion Jordan did. So if he's able to get his head out of his ass, essentially, and, and come back and be a force, suddenly not only does Miami have two amazing starting caliber defensive ends uh, and pass rushers, but they've got a few other guys that they can toss around in different ways and give a lot of solid, decent looks in terms of rushing the passers and disguising things on defense. So he could be a very key cog if he can get his head on straight. That's the the big question is is his head going to be on straight? And uh, another thing that also has to be factored in too is this is a guy who hasn't played football since 2000 uh midway through 2014. So very interesting to see where Deion Jordan's going to end up. To me, even if he makes, you know, gets reinstated, uh you know, he's always one failed drug test away 
uh, from being on that, that list. So it's not somebody who can be counted on, but could be a nice bonus. At least it would make sense to swallow the, you know, $3 million that you would otherwise uh, get if you had cut, if you cut Deion Jordan, you know, he's going to, um, he's going to be making somewhere around, uh, you know, $6 million or he's slated to, if you, if you cut him, you only, you know, you, you have to eat 3 million of that. So, uh, Deion Jordan, Demontre Moore, Terrence Fidesz, some of these players here need to step up, and we'll also figure out if the Dolphins are going to address defensive end somewhere, anywhere in the NFL draft, and that's what we'll get to right now. So Paul and I are going to, a couple of weeks out here from the draft, 16 days away, talk about our seven-round mock and who we would take uh, and, or, and or how we see things unfolding here with the Miami Dolphins in the, the seven rounds of the NFL draft. So, Paul, uh, you go ahead and go first with uh, the 13 well, pick. And j- just to actually let's uh, uh, reiterate to last week, uh, Paul and I actually did a mock draft as well. So we're going to take the, we're going to, we're going to look at this through the lens of you've got 12 players off the board. And in addition to that, there are no trade ups or trade downs because those are too hard to predict. So taking a look back at our board here, Paul, um, the first one, we had Laramie Tunzel to the Titans. Second, uh, Carson Wentz, to the Browns, third, Jalen Ramsey to the Chargers, fourth, Joey Bosa to the Cowboys, then fifth, Miles Jack to the Jaguars, sixth, uh, DeForest Buckner to the Ravens, and the seventh pick, uh, Jared Goff to the San Francisco 49ers, yeah, and then the Eagles there at number eight, I gave them Vernon Hargreaves. Uh, number nine with the Tampa Bay Bucks, we gave them tackle Ronnie Stanley. Tenth to the Giants, running back Ezekiel Elliott. And then eleventh to the Bears, uh, Paul mocked a Jerron Reed to them to play that, that nose tackle position or defensive end position for them in the 3-4. And twelfth was a, a little bit of a surprise for, for me, but it really doesn't affect the Dolphins that much. I gave them Vernon Butler, the defensive tackle from Louisiana Tech. So those 12 guys are off the board. And, Paul, you're on the clock with the 13th pick. Now, the guy I'm going to point out, it's not going to come as any big shock to our regular listeners. Um, He's a guy that I think Miami may be able to make some trades back slightly and still be able to get. And I think he does make a lot of sense for this defense, especially with the fact that Kiko is there. They need to get stronger on the defensive side of the ball. They need to get stronger against the run. Um, This guy is actually a little bit more secretly good against the pass than he gets credit for. Um, Even if he does end up coming off the field on third downs because Kiko and uh, Johnny Jenkins are going to stay out there. But I've got to go Reggie Ragland here. He's – a, a more athletic David Harris. Uh, and if anybody told me that you'd get David, uh, David Harris on this team for, for 10 or 12 years, I'd be all in. And, and the fact that Miami has the opportunity to do so with Raglan here in the teams, uh, I'm, I'm all for it, and, and especially a more athletic version. At 13, Paul's giving the Dolphins Reggie Ragland, the linebacker from Alabama. I'm going to go with what I think that they're going to do. And if if I had to make a guess, uh, this would be a slight reach, but I'd give them cornerback Eli Apple out of Ohio State. Uh, I've said before, I'll say it again, that I feel that weeks ago the Dolphins decided that at 13 that they're going to be taking a cornerback. And when you look back at them um, – at this trade in general, if you can have Eli Apple and Byron Maxwell out there, two long, 
cornerbacks who can get up in, the, in their wide receivers' faces, and you have Kiko Alonso. You do have three new starters. Overall, do I agree with the trade? Not really, uh, because you go from 8 to 13, where now you're not looking at a Vernon Hargraves or a Ronnie Stanley. You're looking more uh, at somebody like an Eli Apple, who I think is more of a late first-round type of, type of talent and type of risk. So I do think that at 13, though, the, the – the board does drop off considerably if you don't see Vernon Hargraves or Ezekiel Elliott or Ronnie Stanley there at that pick. Another player I think they may consider at 13 is Will Jackson, the cornerback from Houston. Again, it would be a major risk or a major reach, but here at 13, if the Dolphins stay where they are and you don't see those players start to fall, then I think you're going to start to see uh, some, them starting to reach for somebody. Uh, I give them Eli Apple with the 13th pick. So, Paul, now we get into the second round. Let's let's take your board, for example, and say that okay, the you know the Dolphins roster is as it is, and they've taken Reggie Ragland there with the, in the first round. Who are you mocking to them in the second round? Well, this is where I actually went corner for for them. Uh, one guy I was keeping an eye on potentially sliding, believe it or not, was one of the guys you mentioned. Um, with that potential first-round pick because I know he is a late first, early second round. Great on a lot of boards and, and maybe there, maybe gone early. But that's William Jackson would have been a potential. I don't think he's going to be there, though. And I went with Artie Burns out of Miami. Um, he's got decent height. Definitely a corner that can come in. He can slide over to safety occasionally. Uh, does he need work? Yeah, but he's great and press man. And it sounds like that's what Gase wants to do with the defense. So, I'm going Artie Burns out of Miami to come in and play corner opposite Maxwell. Quite interesting. And I, I do like Artie Burns, and I, I like that pick there at number 42. Uh, a little bit raw, but made some plays and fits seems to fit the scheme pretty well, too. If he's there at 42, I think he will be a big consideration for the Dolphins. I ha, I'm giving them the defensive end from Oklahoma State, Emmanuel Ogba. Right now he's projected to go early to mid-second round, a raw kid with some inconsistent tape, but has all the talent that you're looking for. You know, you're talking about somebody who's almost six foot four, 270 pounds, ran a four six, great athlete, and also, you know, at Oklahoma State, he he also had the produ- production to match up. He had 22 and a half sacks over the last two years, and the Dolphins are looking to implement this wide nine scheme. Um, and they're fine at defensive end this year with Cameron Wake and, and Mario Williams rushing off the edge, but Wake's 34, Mario Williams is 31. If you can get an Ogba in there to to create that rotation, and Deion Jordan returns, you may have a four-man rotation of you know Wake, Mario Williams, Ogba, and Deion Jordan, and who knows, maybe Demontre Moore and Terrence Fiday fit in there as well. So Emmanuel Ogba's my pick. Paul, your third-round pick. You've got Raglan and Artie Burns in the first two rounds. How about your third-rounder? Well, my third-rounder is one of the reasons why I you know, put out there on Twitter, and I've said to a lot of folks, if Ezekiel Elliott's there at 13, I'd love to see Miami trade down a little bit. Um, I do think that there's a lot of hidden talent that you can grab in the third round. And I, I particularly think so at the running back position. There's a lot of running backs I like, and we talked about a number of them last week. But guys like Paul Perkins, Devontae Booker, who I think will be gone at this point, um, Alex Collins, and, and a number of others even later in the draft. But for me, I think this is where Miami needs to start doing a, a little bit of a double down on the running back position to go with Jay Ajayi, who does have some injury concerns. 
And I think Paul Perkins out of UCLA, even though he's a little bit small, um, he's a guy that he's got great burst out of his cuts. He actually is a lot better in pass protection than you'd expect for his size. He's got great lateral movement. And, and one of the things I always watch with a running back is what their legs do on contact. When we watched a lot of the footage for last week, there were a number of these guys that the second that they get hit, you see their legs stop moving and they just kind of lean and go down. Uh, Perkins was one of those guys that those legs kept pumping, uh, and you almost expect them to keep pumping once he hit the ground even. And for me, I want that push and that drive from a running back. I'm tired of third and ones in Miami um, where you don't see the running back fight for every inch to try to get that first down. And Perkins is the first step towards something like that. Paul Perkins running back in the third round out of UCLA. And, yeah, and, and I, I looking at your at your mock draft here, Paul, Raglan, Burns, Perkins, I think if you, you, you look at those first three selections, you could have three starters. Uh, uh, Perkins would platoon with Jay Ajayi. Raglan would be that starting middle linebacker. And Artie Burns, you'd think, would be inserted immediately opposite Byron Maxwell. I also have them going running back in the third round. I, I actually gave them Kenneth Dixon, the running back out of Louisiana Tech. Um, and this gets interesting here at the running back spot because once you get past – um, Ezekiel Elliott and you know a lot of people have Derrick Henry going late first round early second round Paul and I are not as high on Derrick Henry uh, as as some other people have been but now it starts to get cloudy between the third running back and, and the eighth running back and it may be perhaps you can wait another round and, and take a running back here in the fourth but you'd hate to miss that train because now the Dolphins are really hurting at the running back spot um, if you miss that run I have them taking Kenneth Dixon out of Louisiana Tech. In terms of receiving skills, that's what he really brings uh, to the game. His, his running skills aren't the best, but he does have some flash ability, uh, too. So you, you could, with Kenneth Dixon, have the ability to have uh, uh, Jay Ajayi as your power guy, Kenneth Dixon uh, more as your, your slashing uh type of running back who can actually who can also get out there in the passing game and catch some passes. Some people think have said that Kenneth Dixon is an elite caliber receiver in the passing game. Will be interesting to see. Uh, some other considerations could be someone like we talked about last week with CK, uh, Alex Collins, the running back out of Arkansas, maybe Devontae Booker out of Utah, but I'm with Paul. I think he'll be off the board there early in the third round. So we'll see who's there, who's there at that spot. Now, uh, you know, we, I think it would be borderline impossible if Paul and I had the same players here mocked <laughs> in rounds four through seven. So, Paul, I'll throw it to you first. You've got Ragland, Burns, and Perkins as your top three picks. Who, who are you going with in the fourth round? Well, it's surprising to have to sit to this point to really work on solidifying the offensive line a little bit. But one of the guys that, that really jumped off, out to me when we looked at linemen a few weeks ago, and particularly offensive guards, um, this guy essentially has possibly the highest upside as a guard moving forward. Once he gets a little bit stronger with his technique, he blocks aggressively. Uh, he needs to get a little bit stronger and work on his lateral movement, but essentially had the highest upside that I saw for the guard position, even though I saw some guys that had higher upside in terms of eventually moving the tackle. Um, and that's Isaac Sumalo, uh, absolutely loved every bit of footage I watched on this kid. And I think he's somebody that could come in and potentially as the year goes on, unseat one of these guys at either right or left guard. 
Sumo, I you know I I've got a different player, same position, uh, if if possible, and if he's there in the fourth round, which I think is a very good possibility. I have them taking Joe Dahl, the guard out of Washington State. This is a kid who played left tackle at, at Washington State, but more fits that that left guard type of role in the NFL. 6'4", 304 pounds, has that country strong type of build. Uh, you know, I, I really think that he has a fighting chance in the NFL, too, to play that left tackle spot. Not not a, you know, a Pro Bowl level, but um, somebody who can at least uh, put his finger in the dam and stop the bleeding a little bit. I'm going to go with, with Joe Dahl, the guard out of Washington State. So, Paul, uh, going back uh, to your mock draft, Raglan in the first round. Burns in the second round, Paul Perkins out of UCLA in the third round, Isaac Samolo in the fourth round, and your fifth round pick is? This is a guy where it gets a little bit interesting. Miami actually looks down at Western Kentucky and says, there's a guy that we want that's actually going to be an impact player uh, on the offense uh, as we move forward. And it's a guy that we actually talked about a little bit with CK. Uh, I was definitely high on him as well. But Tyler Higby, the tight end, uh, this guy, he's definitely more of a receiving threat. He needs to work on his blocking. But if he gets in there, he's quick and explosive in a very short area, and he has amazing hands and really could be one of those guys that, as he develops, actually does turn into a pro bowler at the position. Higby is an interesting kid. He's somebody who's really moving up the draft boards, might be the fourth or fifth um, projected tight end here in a weak class. So he could be in the fifth round, uh, quite interesting. I think that'd be tremendous value at that point, but definitely not impossible. I could see him going anywhere really between, uh, you know, mid-round three and at the end of round five. So could be quite a possibility. And it would also allow Higaby or allow Higaby would also be allowed to season on the bench there as well for uh, the 2016 season. And then if Jordan Cameron and Deion Sims aren't in the plans for the Dolphins after this year, then uh, he could sl- step right into that spot if he's ready. I have the Dolphins doubling down on the offensive line uh, in the fifth round, uh, taking a player that I know CK Parrott is very high on. And I, after he mentioned him, I went back and looked at a little more tape on him. Uh, very similar to Joe Dahl uh, in terms of his size, his his athleticism for a big man, and his ability, even though he's a left tackle, to potentially kick into left guard. And that's Joe Tooney out of uh, North Carolina State. Uh, if in, in the fifth round he's on the board, I, I think this has a couple of purposes. Number one, either Dahl and Tooney at this point um, – can battle for that left guard spot, but they can also potentially help you out a little bit in, for the future at left tackle if, if one of them surprises. I, I don't see one of them being an elite left tackle, but you know, you've know got to figure something out here with Brandon Albert over the next couple of years. You at least have to arm yourself with some options. But um, if both of them stay, you know, if one moves to guard, one stays at tackle, what you may see is Dallas Thomas getting cut. And then uh, at that guard spot, you've got a, a big-time battle between really six players. Uh, Jermon Bushrod, Craig Urbick, Billy Turner, who I, and I think Turner would start at right guard in that situation, Jameel Douglas, and then these two rookies, Dahl and Tooney. You know, going with strength and numbers, hope, hoping that with this new coaching regime that the Dolphins are going to be able to um, – to make that happen there at the guard position. Now we really get down into the trenches here, Paul. So you've got Raglan, Burns, Perkins, Sumalo, and uh, Tyler Higabee 
uh, in the first five rounds. Who are you going with in the sixth? Well, one of the things when we talked with CK uh, about the running backs uh, that, that he pointed out was when Coach Gase got got into uh, in front of the microphone and uh, talked about the running running back position. He mentioned we have Jay and that he didn't say anything else. So you got to think Damian Williams had maybe on a spike here soon uh, outside the complex, and for me that means that the Dolphins need to go in hard on the running back position. They signed a couple of guys last week off the streets. Those guys may be heading back to the streets. And one guy that I know I've talked about a little bit leading up to the draft here, uh, who really intrigues me, he was a little injury plagued in in this past season in 2015. He's out of Marshall. Uh, His junior year, his first year playing running back after converting from a tight end, Um, you know, he was averaging 8.6 yards per carry. He was explosive. And he looked very, very good and explosive in limited action due to injury this past year. And that's Devin Johnson, a.k.a. Rockhead, out of uh, Marshall. Um, He's a guy that I mentioned third and ones before, especially in terms of Paul Perkins, who's a little undersized. You hand the ball to Rockhead, he's probably getting it. And not only that, you're going to see him drag three or four guys another five yards. So you get in a goal-to-go situation. He's a guy I want. You get in a situation where it's third and short, second and short, and you want to get it, he's a guy I want. But he's also a guy that has deceptively soft hands and a little bit of deceptive speed for the position. So there's a lot to like about this kid. And then suddenly you've got a stable of running backs and Paul Perkins, Jay Ajayi, and Devin Johnson. And now, you know, you've got Isaiah Pede and Daniel Thomas and Damian Williams really battling it out to possibly even make the team. Um, and and likely not. Yeah, I I've got uh, in the sixth round I've I've got one, really one of two players uh, at the running back spot. The guy who I really want to be there. And I'm with you, Paul. I'd I'd like to double down in this position. If if he's there, Daniel Lasco, the running back from California, is a player that I like a lot. It's someone. It is someone CK brought up, but somebody I really liked two before this um uh, when he ran a 446 with 23 bench reps 41 and a half vertical uh showed a little bit more athleticism than than people were thinking about and uh, typically I, I think in a normal year he would be more of a fourth round pick could get shoved down into that sixth round area uh if uh, when when you start looking at the depth uh not just in the third round but but heading into those those later rounds too so uh, I'm going to give them Daniel Lasco out of California if he's there, but if he's not, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and give give them Kel. Let's let's say more realistically, let's go with Calvin Taylor, the running back out of Florida. Actually, it's, he has the bloodlines. Fred Taylor is his dad, the the running back from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, five foot ten, two hundred and twelve pounds. Doesn't have doesn't jump off the page anywhere. Uh, and in terms of his athleticism, he's a four-six player. Not great production in Florida, but good production. And I, I see a, a back with those, with the bloodlines, with the running back instincts, who can come in here and compete for that third running back spot. Uh, really, the key in looking at this is uh, how many bodies can we can we get there into camp? So now uh, you've got Jay Ajayi, you've got Damian Williams. Um, uh, you've got a, a Kelvin Taylor or a Daniel Lasco. 
uh, and, and then you've got Daniel Thomas and you've got Isaiah Pede. And I'm, I'm thinking, I, I did, did I forget? Oh, I, I, and also, too, the running back that I had in the third round, and, and that was uh, Kenneth Dixon. So you've got, heading into camp under my scenario, you've got Ajayi, Dixon, uh, Daniel Laskell, or Calvin Taylor, Damian Williams, Isaiah Pede, Daniel Thomas. I think in that situation, Pede and, and Daniel Thomas are, are axed from the roster. Maybe even Damian Williams, too. I, I think the only way Damian Williams makes the team is if you really need more of that veteran influence at the running back spot. So I, I'm, I'm there with you, Paul. We we're doubling down at the guard spot in the fifth round, the running back spot in the sixth round, just on different players. So yeah. now, now we get uh, I, uh, really into and, the – go ahead. No, I, I definitely think doubling down on the running back position is, is going to solve a lot of woes on that offense. So, And I like the way our drafts are shaping up, even if some of the aspects may or may not be um, areas of need as the Dolphins see it moving forward. I mean, that's half the fun of these exercises, I think. Yeah, and this isn't, you know, because Paul and I have this this passion to predict all of this correctly, but really to take a look at what the Dolphins might do in this draft and uh, how the board really unfolds and re- where really the value is from position to position uh, and round to round. So, you know, we've got two seventh-round picks. Let's go ahead with your first one. So for these seventh-round picks, I really flirted around with, with three players, um, all of them actually on the offensive side of the ball, which surprised me a little bit. Um, but the first guy that I have here at pick six. He's a guy that could go as early as the fourth round or could go undrafted. It gets very finicky at his position um, in any round, let alone as the rounds move on, probably more so than any other position. And Kevin Hogan, uh, the quarterback out of Stanford, he's a guy, he's got some footwork issues. He's not the tallest, but he's definitely not a short quarterback um, that could come in here. And a coach like Gase, to me, would be able to clean up some of those footwork issues that he has and suddenly turn him into that prolific second option behind Tannehill where if Tannehill goes down, the season may not be lost. I do realize they re-signed Matt Moore. I don't think any of us here on the show uh, are under the delusion that Matt Moore coming in is going to, by any stretch, save a season if Tannehill does, by chance, go down. So, getting a gifted player that kind of matches up a little bit with Tannehill's style in some ways um, so they can keep the, the offense tailored in a way that, that suits them both. So God forbid Tannehill does go down, this kid could come in and potentially be a guy that does help the team moving forward. Um, I, I think they've got to go for him if he's still there on the board. Hogan is interesting because you're right, Paul. This is a the kid, a kid who could go. He could go in the fourth round. He could go undrafted. He remind his stock reminds me a little bit of Brian Hoyer's when he came out of Michigan State. Uh, I was thinking those things, same things. I thought he was going to go more in the fourth round. He ended up going undrafted. Uh, does need his footwork fixed, but I, I, I think the physical tools are there for him to play the quarterback position. Uh, again, you know, I, I swear we're not copying each other here. We didn't plan this out beforehand, but I have them going with a quarterback, too, in the seventh round. Uh, the one I picked was Josh Woodrum out of Liberty. This is a, a, a kid with from a small school, same school as uh, our safety, backup safety, Walt Akins, out of that uh, Liberty College, and has the tools to play the position. And, uh, you know, with Matt Moore as our backup, uh, having – 
a couple of players, mainly Logan Thomas, Zach Dysert, and now you insert Josh Woodrum in there, you give a lot of consideration to, to carrying three quarterbacks on your roster. And if none of them really stand up and impress, then you could go with two quarterbacks again and hope to get one or more of these quarterbacks on your practice squad to, to fill in uh, for 2017 and beyond when, uh, you know, Matt Moore may or may not be part of the team anymore. Uh, finally, Paul, your last seventh-round pick and the last pick of the draft for the Dolphins. I actually want to talk about two guys here, um, the one that I have been taking and the other guy I flirted with really at, at both picks here in the seventh round. Um, the first guy I want to talk about and who I had them take was Pierce Slater, the offensive tackle out of San Diego State. This kid has monster size. He's pretty raw. But Miami proved last season with Brandon Albert and Jawan James that they definitely need a quality, quality backup at, at tackle. And they don't, didn't have it then. They don't really have it now. Um, they've got a lot of flex options that are kind of okay-ish behind those guys. And this is a guy, I believe he's 6'7", somewhere in the neighborhood of 329, 330. Definitely needs some conditioning work. Um, but he's got all the prototypical tools that you want to see in a right tackle in the NFL. And God forbid James go, or James goes down, he could he may be able to step in at that point in the season. Um, God forbid Brandon Albert goes down at some point for several games for the eighth or ninth or twentieth season in a row. I know I'm exaggerating here. Um, you know, you kick James over to left tackle and you plug this kid in and you might be in decent shape and possibly protect Ryan Tannehill. So he's a guy that could come in, definitely needs some work, but with the right folks, could turn into that, that gem that you need to shine up a little bit. And taking him here in the seventh round, it's absolutely worth a flyer. Um, the other guy I just want to mention, now I believe he had a failed drug test. Uh, he's got monster size. He's not the cleanest receiver um, in terms of technique. But when it comes to jump balls, when it comes to red zone, there are very few receivers in the draft that can match this kid. I mean, he's already 6'5", and that's Deronia Wilson out of Mississippi State. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, if he has cleaned up his act, uh, it's a tough one to say, given the news with, with uh, Josh Gordon there recently, to go after a guy that had a failed drug test um, while he was in college. But if he's got his head on straight and he's a guy that can come in and be that red zone target, Miami's in great shape at the receiver position because you've got Jarvis Landry, you've got Devontae Parker, you've got Kenny Stills as kind of your deepest threat guy. You've got Matt Hazel who can plug in and play some of the intermediate stuff. And then when you get in the red zone, you throw this guy out on the field and, and you've got a 6'5 monster that can box out and go for a jump balls, and you got him in the seventh round. So I think I would go Pierce Slater here. But Deronia Wilson's a dark horse that you could watch here and maybe able to be grabbed, may be able to grab as an undrafted to come in and see if it's heads on straight. Yeah, Pierce, Pierce Slater out of San Diego State, very interesting. Yeah, massive guy, six seven three thirty three, there. And uh, with my final pick here, I'm going to go with somebody that is going to kick a legend off the team. Um, I'm going to go with Jimmy Landis, the long snapper 
out of Baylor. Uh, you know, if you, if you get a long snapper here at the end of the seventh round, it's still going to be one of the one of the best long snappers in the class. You know, John Denny, you're you're paying over a million dollars to. He's 37 years old. He's probably going to be off your team in a year or two anyway. Uh, you get Landis on the team. You know, he's somebody that you can have for the next 10 or 15 years. Um, in that same John Denny role. So if if you at the end of this draft can can say, hey, you know, we, we took uh, in the fourth and fifth round, we took two guards, and that allowed us to cut Dallas Thomas, save $1.7 million, and now in the seventh round we're taking a long snapper, Jimmy Landis. Now you're saving almost $3 million heading into the offseason. You're really not losing anything at those spots. So there we go. There There is our seven – Round mock draft each. So, just to recap, uh, our our picks as we said them. Um, going from top to bottom, I had first round cornerback Eli Apple out of Ohio State. In the second round, defensive end Emmanuel Ogba out of Oklahoma State. Third round, Kenneth Dixon out of Louisiana Tech, the running back. Fourth round, guard slash tackle Joe Dahl out of Washington State. Fifth round, guard slash tackle Joe Thune out of North Carolina State. Sixth round, Kelvin Taylor, the running back out of Florida. Seventh round, Josh Woodrum, quarterback out of Liberty. Seventh round, this with the second pick of the seventh round, Jimmy Landis, long snapper out of Baylor. Paul had first round linebacker Reggie Ragland out of Alabama. Cornerback Artie Burns out of Miami in the second. Paul Perkins running back out of UCLA in the third. Isaac Simualo out of Oregon State in the fourth. Fifth round, Tyler Higaby, tight end from Western Kentucky. Sixth round, Devin Johnson running back from Marshall. Seventh round, Kevin Hogan, the quarterback from Stanford. And then seventh round, Pierce Slater, the tackle from San Diego State. So, Paul, a lot of interesting ways that the Dolphins can go in this draft. Taking a look there with the 13th pick, what are a couple of, you know, I, I, I'll tell you what, I've said this last week, I'm embarrassed to admit what I, what I would not take down, or, or, or I'm embarrassed to admit what I would take in a trade down scenario if the Dolphins there with the 13th pick, they don't see Vernon Hargraves, they don't see Ronnie Stanley, they don't see Zeke Elliott, and you don't have much really separating the 13th best player in the draft from, heck, even the 40th best player in the draft. I, I don't have a lot on my board separating Eli Apple from Emmanuel Ogba. I'm sure you, well, you love Reggie Ragland, but, you know, Artie Burns is also yeah. somebody who could very easily go in the 20s as well. So, uh, you know, in a situation where the Dolphins don't like their board at 13, who are a few teams that you could see trading up? Um, well, it, it really depends on who's available, obviously. I think the ideal scenario for the Dolphins would be if, you know, Ezekiel Elliott does slide to them. And in terms of not taking him, but in terms of, you know, you've got several teams in the picks behind them, including the Raiders right behind them, that may be interested in moving up to secure um, Ezekiel Elliott at that point, uh, including teams like Detroit, including teams like Atlanta, um, you know, the Colts. Uh, they could all be interested in moving up to try to snag a player like that. Uh, if Jared Goff is available for some unbeknownst reason, which a lot of us don't expect, um, there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested in making that move up. The Browns, yeah, they've got RG3. They have no answer at quarterback. And obviously if they they don't take somebody early, uh, which we all expect they're going to take Carson Wentz with the number two overall pick, but if they don't take somebody early, they may look to move back in. Um, a team like the Broncos. 
you know, they're they're looking at the play sixty kid at this point to potentially come in and play a quarterback uh, because they don't have an answer until this trade goes through. Uh, the 49ers are a team that would be looking to move in. Um, so there's a number of different ways that they could go. And like you said, there's not a huge amount separating the talent that's there at 13 from the talent that's there at 31. So wherever the Dolphins go here, I'm in favor of picking up a second-round pick where they can. I'm in favor of picking up a third-round pick. And being able to potentially double down at the guard position, being able to potentially double down at the running back position even earlier. Um, There's a lot of moves that they can make with those extra picks because that's where the value is in this draft, is in that second through fourth round. There's a ton of talent that Miami could go after. So if they can accumulate those picks, I'd be ecstatic. Yeah, I'd be ecstatic too. And you know, if the Dolphins can in that situation trade from thirteen even down to you know seventeen or eighteen to pick up a third round pick, I'm all for that because I think a third round pick in this draft is a starting position, especially uh, at certain positions with the Dolphins, like linebacker, guard, running back, where you can find really some low hanging fruit uh, in the that in that third fourth round area. Yeah, and looking at potential trade up partners, you know. Let's. I'll take it from a different angle here. Um, Zeke Elliott. Let's let's say that Zeke Elliott's off the board. Let's say Hargraves is off the board. Let's say Ronnie Stanley's off the board, as well as the usual suspects, as well. Paxton Lynch could be somebody who really starts to come into play because. He, he, Everybody knows you need a quarterback in today's NFL, and you see some of those teams on the back end um, and really in the middle of the draft too, like the New York Jets, the Denver Broncos, the Arizona Cardinals, you'd have to think are looking for a long-term replacement for Carson Palmer. Man, if if you're telling me that, hey, if, if one of these teams has a franchise quarterback grade on Paxton Lynch, which some do, some don't, um, then I, I, I think that if you're one of those teams, you do make the decision to give a second round pick and move up with the Dolphins and the Dolphins would be wise to pull the trigger on that, regardless if you even have to drop down to the end of the first round with the Denver Broncos to secure that pick. Reggie Ragland would be an interesting one. He is a plug and play type of starter, especially in the three, four, the Green Bay Packers would be an interesting trade down partner because they're looking to have Clay Matthews back on the outside. If you have a linebacker core, um, with Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, Julius Peppers, Reggie Raglan, and Jake Ryan. Man, you're, you're really set at that linebacker spot for the Packers for the next uh, several years, even if Peppers and Clay Matthews you know, d- don't play as long as you'd like. So yeah, and, yeah, are... One team, too, when you mentioned Raglan, that a lot of folks have, have mocked to pick him up um, is the Jets. Uh, so they may be a team that looks to move up because – a lot of teams speculate the idea of putting him inside with David Harris and then eventually unseating David Harris in the next couple of years and taking over and, and being even better. Um, I would love another it. Reason why. Uh, I, would I would hate that because we have enough. I, I would love it because I would just throw over, over the heads and over the top of David Harris and Reggie Ragland all day. Uh, play with that slot receiver and take Jordan Cameron and have have him more, run more vertical routes down down the seam. Totally 100% into that, especially if we end up getting a third-round pick involved. Speaking of getting people involved, Chris Kaufman is joining us here again tonight to talk about the wide receiver position and the quarterback position. 
position and how it relates to the Miami Dolphins um, heading into the NFL draft. Now, why quarterback and running back? Well, basically, we've talked about running back, cornerback, defensive line, and, and a lot of other positions that the Dolphins need, and, and offensive guard, too. So we're going to circle back. Uh, in the remaining two weeks to talk about these positions overall. But right now we're going to focus on wide receiver uh, and quarterback. So, Chris, uh, starting off, you know, the waters have really gotten muddied when um, Laquan Treadwell uh, ran a 4-6-4-40 time here with uh, Mississippi. Uh, And now he seems to be in that mix with Josh Doxson from TCU, with Wolf Fuller from Notre Dame, and with Corey Coleman from from Baylor. Do you still see Laquan Treadwell being that first receiver taken um, by any team in the draft? Uh, It's hard to say, actually, if he will be the first, because it's sort of, you know, teams, they say it it in – they say it so much that it's become kind of, uh, you know, uh, cliche, but teams are drafting for traits. So, uh, so it, it depends on what you're looking for in your system and on your team and, uh, particularly the chemistry that you're looking for with your quarterback and, um, and perhaps your other receivers. So it's going to depend. Uh, for instance, if you were to take the Miami Dolphins, uh, obviously, Laquan Treadwell is a tremendous, tremendous uh, player and talent, uh, but they have Devontae Parker, and they also have uh, Jarvis Landry. And um, and if they are to take a Laquan Treadwell, then you imagine that it's Kenny Stills that kind of gets shouldered out a little bit. And, uh, and so then suddenly you've got a Laquan Treadwell who – by the way, I was surprised to see that he actually did run that, you know, around that 4.60. I thought he was going to run a little bit faster than that. Um, there is some disagreement I've, I've seen about, you know, what exactly the time was, but it doesn't matter. The time was about a 4.6 or a 4.6 flat, that type of area. Um, you know, if you look at that, you look at Miami would have him at, at that kind of speed, and then it would have Jar- Jarvis Landry in some for having run in the 4.6s. And then you'd have Devontae Parker, who even though, you know, his time speed was in four fours, I believe, I don't, I don't think he plays uh, quite to that top-end speed. I think he plays within, um, to the first 10 to 20 yards in that speed. But his top-end speed, if you really pay attention to it, and there are some figures that they look at, like the flying 20 and, and such, uh, his top-end speed wasn't a lot. So, if you have those three guys, then you don't really have necessarily a guy that's going to blow the top over uh, off a of defense. And, uh, and so Miami might not, you know, want to take a Laquan Treadwell because, you know, they're worried about the chemistry with the other receivers. Now, on the other hand, Laquan Treadwell would fit beautifully with Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback and his tendencies and what he's, uh, what he's, appreciated what he's been productive with even going all the way back to uh to to texas a&m but you know it, it just really depends on what what teams are looking for in their offense chemistry with their receivers chemistry with their quarterback so at this point yeah the door is wide open for uh josh Doxson to go first or for you know will fuller to go first he ran in the four twos and the guy is, is tremendously fast and uh or uh uh, Baylor uh, Coleman. 
it really is pick your flavor there. Uh, you know, you can have the speed option with Fuller or Coleman. Josh Doxson reminds me a little bit of, of Nelson Aguilar from last year. Maybe uh, that Muhammad Sanu type of player too, where you know m- maybe you're not looking at a you know hundred catch, thirteen hundred yard guy, but uh, very safe pick. Six foot two, Doxson is two hundred and two pounds, ran a four five. Uh, vertical jump was forty one compared to Treadwell, who who had thirty three and a half. But you know Treadwell is a bigger player, uh, and, and it, Doxson can get up there maybe a little bit more there. So, uh, do you see any possibility just sticking with these first four receivers, Chris? That uh, one of these guys does fall to that forty second pick, and if that if you see Treadwell, Doxson, Fuller, or Coleman there falling to 42. Is it somebody that the Dolphins maybe should consider, depending who's on the board? Well, I, I think that's uh, – and I hate to be put in position to end up eating my words, but uh, I say no chance, really. Um, I say that mm-hmm. uh, the Dolphins are going to avoid that position at uh, number 13 overall. I think they're going to avoid that position – um, at number 42 overall, and they're probably going to avoid the position at number 73 overall. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is because, you know, while it's easy for us to dismiss Kenny, Kenny Stills because he was brought over in a trade and didn't really produce last year and didn't really hook up very well with, with Tannehill, um, you know, I don't think that they're dismissing him. I think especially Mike Tannenbaum, who acquired him, you know, he was the architect of that trade. Uh, and then you've got Adam Gase, who was part of the Bears' uh, offense, and the Bears tried to acquire Kenny Stills. Uh, they were in the running for him in that trade. And I know that uh, Adam Gase really loved him. So I, I think that you know we can be dismissive of him, but I don't think they're being dismissive of him. And in the meantime, they're looking at Devontae Parker very much as another you know Alshon Jeffery type of player um in in Adam Gase's offense and of course nobody is dismissing Jarvis Landry. So uh they have a good receivers unit that I think they're they're going to go to they're going to go to battle with and I don't think they're going to be looking at um at those guys up at the top, you know, whether it be Laquan Treadwell with his kind of his physical explosiveness, his strength explosiveness or uh, Josh Jackson with his uh his athletic explosiveness. I don't I don't think it's going to happen there. And uh, and when you get to number 42 overall, you know I doubt Will Fuller is going to make it down there, uh, to be honest. But um, but I, I'm not really sure that I see uh, anything else compelling to where I say, you know, hey, let's ignore the glaring needs and go with a wide receiver in what is kind of a a weak wide receiver draft. Um, so yes. I think it's going to be avoided. Totally with you on that. I don't expect the Dolphins, regardless of the circumstances, to take a receiver, at least in the first two rounds. And, you know, getting a third, fourth round, maybe if a player falls to that spot, uh, then that's another consideration. Because, yeah, you're right that when you look at the receiver position with Parker, Landry, Stills, Matt Hazel, Griff Whalen as your top five guys. You could legitimately go into the season with those five guys, uh, and then you're going to get some competition along the way if you pick somebody up or with an undrafted free agent. So let's move past the first two rounds, uh, CK. Who is somebody that, you know, when you look at those middle rounds, you're hoping could potentially fall to the Dolphins um, really in in, in those middle rounds? Well, I, I look at some uh, some of the mid to late guys, and some of them have really caught my eye. Uh, one of them that I know has also caught the Dolphins' eye 
is UCLA uh, wide receiver uh, Duarte. I think his name is for, his first name is Thomas. Um, and what this guy is is a six foot two, two hundred and thirty one pound, uh, you know, kind of hybrid wide receiver tight end. And the reason that he's a little bit unique, and the reason that the Dolphins are looking at him, is remember that Adam Gase's offense, first and foremost, I mean, he builds his game plans around mismatches. Uh, and so he's going to be looking at his at his players and who they can match up against in the defense and in what situations and what the defensive tendencies are, what the rules are based on, you know, the packages that you put out on the field and based on the formations you put on the field and what you can force the defense into and then get that, isolate that mismatch. Uh, so he's going to be looking at Duarte as a guy that is, you know, he, he moves like a, a receiver. But he doesn't just move like a receiver. He actually moves like a um, like a, a slot receiver, which is kind of unique for a six foot two, two hundred thirty pound guy. Uh, you see him get off the line, and he gets off the line very quickly. Uh, he wastes no steps whatsoever in his cuts. He, he cuts on the move very well, um, and he also he also can can stop and come back to the ball very well. Uh, he really he really looks like a slot receiver out there which is unique at, at his frame because he's six foot two, over six foot two, and 231 pounds. And not only that, he looks like he can add more bulk. I mean, you look at his, his muscle definition, and, and it looks like he's actually got some work to do. He could get stronger. He could get bigger. He's got 10-inch hands. He's got, you know, long arms. Um, so I think that they're looking at him as a mismatch player, kind of in the Devin Funches mold. And um, and that could be a guy that they look at um, that they look at a little bit later on in the draft. And and there are other guys that that I could talk about as well. But that was one guy that I wanted to isolate uh, for now. Yeah, absolutely. And and he's a player, six foot two, two hundred and thirty one pounds, ran a four seven two. So kind of on that wide receiver slash tight end. Adam about a four five. Uh, you know the the hand, the pro day and the handhelds. Uh, you know depends on what you're what you're looking at there. But I, I like to make sure that everybody is comparable in the method that they're timed. Um, and you have a lot of guys that say didn't run at the combine, ran at their pro day. And you also have a lot of history with guys having run at their pro days or having run at the combines and being timed with handhelds. And so the, for that reason, I always look at the handheld. I don't, I don't, I really toss away the electronic official times for really a lot of reasons um, I don't think that they're as accurate as people claim they are, even though they're supposedly laser. Well, yeah, they're laser at the finish, but they're they're uh, rule based and uh, and subjective at the start, and that's where you run into some problems. I had him about like four six five uh, as as his uh, forty time, um, and I think that you look at him on the on the field, and it's it's all in that burst off the line. It's all in that uh, the first three gears and he just doesn't have a fourth, uh, fourth, fifth gear. So that's, that's where about his speed is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I'm looking at the belly of this wide receiver class here and there, there are some players who I think are a little bit overhyped, uh, you know, Sterling Shepard from Oklahoma, kind of in that second round area. Uh, you know, I, I look at somebody and I look back, I hate to make it a lazy comparison, but going back to players like, like Ryan Broyles, Sterling Shepard, I, you know, I, I look at him 5'10", 193 pounds, ran a 4.48, so not blazing speed. 
Um, I, I look at him more as a third or fourth round type of guy. Uh, but, you know, if you, you get him with the right quarterback, then I, I think he could make a difference. I'm not a Michael Thomas fan at all. I don't think this guy can separate to save his life. Runs a, close to a 4-6 in the 40-yard dash. Um, Tyler Boyd and Braxton Miller I like a little bit more. Braxton Miller is a very interesting, very good team player. Um, and then he's really impressed a lot of people with his work at wide receiver in this offseason. Had a great senior bowl week, ran a 4-4-3, and he's somebody that I think you may be able to, to reach for the stars with uh, there if you, if, if you find him falling to the third or fourth round. Farrow Cooper, somebody I've seen a lot of at, at South Carolina, reminds me a lot of Marty Booker uh, going back, uh, the former Miami Dolphin, where he's 5'11", 203, not the biggest, not the fastest, but he's a great football player runs a lot of crisp routes too so if the Dolphins find one of those players in the mid-rounds in the fourth round area uh, I I, I think that should be a consideration for them so Chris does anybody else really jump out out at you among this receiver core that we can take a look at in the mid to late rounds yeah two guys Uh, first off I think I've said this before but the guys the guys at the top, uh, you know, have my attention in this draft, in this wide receiver draft. And then, and then I, I, I seem like I don't really, really like somebody or really like the value of these players until we get back to the bottom. Um, so I think you're kind of hitting on it with those, uh, the second, the third round area guys, where I would be interested in those guys if they started falling into day three. Um, I do like some of those guys, and don't get me wrong. Tyler Boyd, I've been watching him for years. Um, I, I like uh, I like Sterling Shepard, I think, a little bit more than than probably you do. Um, but you know, based on based on what they are physically, and you know, the the problem is that you're looking at this position. There are a hundred guys. Okay, there are a hundred guys. Mm-hmm. And they all have about the same size and weight. They all have about the same speed. And you're just trying to ask, well, you know, what makes these guys unique? What makes this guy, um, you know, different than a, than somebody that you can throw through the revolving door? Um, and that's where you start to where you start to come out with some problems with some of these guys. But I think uh, three guys that I would look at, or, or rather two guys that I would look at uh, a little bit later, uh, Kiaris Garrett of Tulsa uh, would be one, and uh, Colby Listenby of TCU would be another. Listenby is a guy that uh, is—I hate to say that he's in the mold of um, of a uh, of a Clyde Gates, but uh, he's a fast, fast. Yeah, please he's, don't. He's four, he runs. He runs in the four threes. He actually—he's got a track background. And he ran a 10.0400 meters. He might have actually run faster than that, um, which is just insane. Um, and, that, and you look at him play on the field, and it's not—it's not track. It's not track. It doesn't look like a track player. It doesn't look like a, a speed only. Uh, I like how he gets off the line. I think it can be cleaned up a little bit. Um, I think that he gets off the line very good. He's very quick. He he cuts uh, on the run uh, very well. I think what makes him a unique player actually is his ability to keep his focus and uh, and use his upper body and his arms uh, and his hands on the route while he's running at full speed. And full speed for him is, is very fast. Uh, and he uses all of that, and he especially uses his upper body and his back and his shoulders and, uh, and all of these tools to really shield the catch 
and uh, and protect the integrity of the catch, keep keep the corner in jail, so to speak. And uh, any any fights with his hands on the route, you know that this is this is not a guy that uh, that doesn't deal well with physical uh, physical coverage. I think that he deals very well with physical coverage, and he catches these these uh, all kinds of deep balls. You know, he he judges the ball very well. And, he, and then I also look at him from a pure strength standpoint. You know, he's only six foot zero and one hundred and ninety seven pounds or something like that. So he's not not got necessarily impressive stature. But I think that he's pretty strong, and I look at him in the in the run game, and he actually gets after. He's very dogged and uh, and annoying. And that's I mean, if you're if you're kind of a smaller receiver, then all you can be in the run game is annoying, probably. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's what I see him as. And then the other guy, Karis, uh Garrett of Tulsa, this is a bigger guy. This is more like a six foot three uh, ish, two hundred and twenty plus pound guy. Wingspan is enormous on him. He's an 80, 82, 83-inch wingspan. This guy has a wingspan of offensive tackles that have big wingspans. Um, so he's uh, he actually gets out on the route. He, he ran a 4-4-0 handheld at the combine. It came out electronic at more like a 4-5-3 or something like that. Looking at him on tape and looking at him in, uh, in – against other players. I'd say it's somewhere in between. I think it's more like a 4-4-5 to 4-5-0, somewhere around there. Uh, you look at him, and he's got a laundry, He's got a long list of players that he's beaten that, that are impressive. He beat Bobby McCain for you know a touchdown last year. He's beaten guys like Lorenzo Doss, Kravon LeBlanc. He's beaten, he beat William Jackson for a long catch this year. He beat William Jackson for – a pretty impressive touchdown, and I think uh, I think some other catches last year. Um, he he has like he has all these guys that he's that he's put together that he's beaten. And what he is is he's a lot like Alshon Jeffrey in that he, he can go deep and he can make those physical catches using those long arms. Again, he's a guy very natural using his body to protect the catch. Um, and then of course you get him in zone, and and this is a guy you get him in in the hole. In, between the zones, you get the ball to him and let him do his let him do his thing because he's just very very strong. And uh, I watched him a couple of times. I've watched uh, a number of games of his, but if you want to watch one, watch him against Oklahoma and watch him against Zach Sanchez, who is being regarded by many as kind of a mid round, um, third round maybe a corner. And some guys really like him, but he just put Zach down. I mean, it was it was embarrassing. Um, it looked like when Zach Sanchez faced Kevin White a year ago and had a really awful game against him. But that that game, Zach Sanchez was hurt. This game, he wasn't. Uh, so I think that Kiaris Garrett is another guy, you know, real late um, or mid mid to late you're going to look at because, you know, he's he's a fantastic player. And, by the way, in only like 13 games, I think he had something like 15, 1,600 yards receiving this year. I mean, he was, he was really, really productive. Um, and you mentioned before, and I just want one more guy. You mentioned Michael Thomas of Ohio State. I'm more interested in Mike Thomas of uh, Southern Miss, and that's huh. a, that's a guy that you look at on tape. And I, I hate to make this comparison because everybody's going to think it's negative, but he he's a Kenbrell Tompkins clone, uh, basically the same stature, basically the same explosiveness. This guy can leg press a Buick uh, based on the tape that I've seen. And the, the, leg, the leg strength is all over the place uh, on his tape. Uh, he really, he really can, uh, can cut well. 
He can get low. Um, he can come off the ground, uh, and he's got. Um, he's also got a lot of explosiveness. It's not. It's not surprising to me that even though his speed really came out in the you know four fives, nothing nothing really to to speak of that way. His his broad jump was more like ten and a half feet, and so that's that's a lot better than than you'd think for that speed. And that's just that's just that leg explosiveness and leg strength. Uh, he it's it's kind of weird, you know, having a guy that's only like one hundred and ninety five pounds. Uh, and six foot one remind me of Des Bryant is kind of new to me. I mean, because Des Bryant is so so big and animalistic and 220 plus pounds, and you know, um, but this guy really does. He kind of reminds me of uh, if, if Kenbrell Tompkins and and Des Bryant kind of you know had a uh, had a test tube baby or something. Um, then uh, then that would this would be this would be the guy. I like the way he attacks the ball. I like the way he catches it. I like how physical he is. I like how sudden he is, explosive. Uh, he's really catching on. I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are very high on him um, and have been for a little while. And I'm, I'm kind of late to the party on him, but he's he's got me. So you heard you heard it here first, Mike Thomas. Very if Des Bryant and Kembro Tompkins had a test tube baby, then that would be the guy. Where else are you going to get analysis like that than than other than CK Parrot? Uh, <laughs> Chris, uh, a great analysis, great breakdown there of, of the receiver class. And you're right, I, I'm completely with you uh, in that receiver unit. I look back a couple of years ago, and I look at, you know, drafting Matt Hazel in the sixth round. And typically, you know, an early sixth-round pick, I'm not, you know, take it or leave it. That's fine. But, you know, I, I looked at the rest of that, that crop and thought, you know what, it was – is there any is there was there anything differentiating Matt Hazel from seventh round picks or from undrafted free agents? Maybe we could have got a different player in this slot. That's kind of how I feel about the wide receiver unit here. I I, I think that you're going to see um, a lot of talent here, even in the undrafted free agent class that the Dolphins can take a handful of. Hopefully they can they can get lucky on some of these guys. You're listening to On the Fin Side, 714-333-3302. We've got Paul Pick and we've got C.K. Parrott joining us here, talking about the receiving class as well as a few quarterbacks that the Dolphins may think about. Um, Chris, we were looking before and, and guessing on a couple quarterbacks. I gave him Kevin Hogan – or excuse me, I gave them quarterback uh, Josh Woodrum out of Liberty – Paul gave them Kevin Hogan out of Stanford here in the later rounds, but forgetting about them for a second, you know, once you get past the first couple of rounds, because you've got to think that the Carson Wentz's, the Jared Goff's, Paxton Lynch, Connor Cook, Christian Hackenberg, maybe Dak Prescott, you know, these guys projected to go in the first three or four rounds may not come into play. So who, who are some quarterbacks that the Dolphins may want to take a look at in the mid to late rounds that could be that third string quarterback this year, maybe move up to that backup next year? Well, I think that first off, it, it is worth note, noting that uh, they like Connor Cook a lot. Um and I like Connor Cook a lot. Uh, I don't really like any of the quarterbacks in this draft, including Wentz or Goff, all that much. But, you know, given given that it's not a quarterback's class where I'm itching to take a guy in the first round, uh, one of the guys that I appreciate the most is, is Connor Cook uh, of Michigan State. I think that the, the negatives on him, one of the big negatives on him is really about leadership and maturity and uh and how he acted in the clubhouse and um and i think that that's that's the 
pretty much the definition of something that gets better over time. They call it maturity for a reason because you mature out of it. Um, so I think that uh, that you know that has a that has a, uh, a timer on it that criticism, and uh, the other criticisms you know with respect to his accuracy. While I think there is some. Uh, some something to that um, on some levels. On other levels, I think it's overdone, and it's based on the offense that he was in. And this guy threw the very tight windows, very tight man coverage. Nobody could separate in that offense, and they faced a lot of you know tight man coverage from what I saw, uh, based on how they were attacking that that offense and, and stopping the run. And um, and I think that uh, that this is a guy that that had to deal with NFL situations at Michigan State, and, and not just an NFL playbook. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about NFL windows um, and NFL decision-making uh, for years at Michigan State. And he's, I, I think he's a very good player. You, you look at him and you're just trying to match, you know, what looks like a pro. His release looks like a pro. He's by far the better, quickest release in the draft, and he's got probably the best footwork setup and delivery in the draft. Uh, some people ding on his arm. I really didn't see any issue with his arm strength at all. Um, I know that Dan Marino loves him. I know that Dan Marino has gotten involved in the uh, the personnel situation a little bit just to just to kind of come along for the ride. I know that he loves him. I know that Adam Gase loves him. I know that Adam Gase used to work for uh, for Mark D'Antonio and at Michigan State when when Adam Gase was a player at Michigan State. He was really a coach. Um, even though he was technically a player, and what was he doing? He was he was doing advanced scouting work for the defensive backs, and uh, who was among the defensive backs coach, Mark D'Antonio. So they have a relationship going a long ways, and I think that Mark D'Antonio is doing a sell job on the Dolphins on on behalf of Connor Cook, and I think that they like him. So um, so you know that's that's kind of a wild card to me. I know that they cannot afford a quarterback at 42 overall. Um, you know, to speak of because of the because of the holes that they have on the team. But if they were to pull some magic out of their hat to fill those holes in some different way, I, I'd really pay attention to him at 42 overall. But I don't think there's any way, and neither do the Dolphins think that there's any way that he can get to 73 overall. But you know, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. They actually do like him. Now, outside of him, I think that you're looking at guys that fit Adam Gase, and you know that's why. I'm not necessarily all about a Vernon Adams or somebody like that. I think that they're going to be looking at guys that can pick teams apart from the pocket and, um, and guys that are you know known for being very smart. And on that front, I look at Brandon Dowdy, Western Kentucky. I've been, I've been watching him for a number of years, um, you know, because I've watched a lot of uh, conference USA. I've watched a lot of Marshall. I've watched uh, a lot of those games and this is this is one of those guys that fits that mold for for um, Adam Gase. He he definitely can pick you apart. He's got a good arm. Um, he can uh, he's he's good at accuracy. I think that you know he, what he lacks in athleticism is not going to be that big of a deal for the Dolphins. But the thing is, I don't think that they're going to draft him. Um, I don't think that they're going to target him for unless it's a seventh round pick or something like that. I think that he's one of those guys that. If they if he falls down the board, then you could see them go after him, um, like they did with the uh, the Washington State quarterback uh, uh, a year or so ago. Uh, his name is escaping me. Connor, uh, what was it? Do you, do you recall his name? 
Uh, Connor, the Washington State, not not particularly. Uh, okay. Man, I could. They they got him. I think they had him uh, briefly as an undrafted free agent. Um, but yeah, I think Connor Holiday. We're talking about. That's the guy, Connor Holiday. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, they could be looking at a guy like that. You know, kind of kind of late undrafted. Getting Matt Moore back, I think, was kind of a key for them and the price that they got him at. Um, and I think that uh, that they could they could be looking to put a a fairly low priority on the quarterback class general however it could be all about guys that they have you know just a just a really high grade on that they're not going to let slip and maybe connor cook could be one of those guys um but otherwise you know you could you could see it wait till pretty late yeah and you know that that quarterback spot i look at our two second round two seventh round picks and you know once once we get into the seventh round it's kind of like whatever you know there's not much separating the um, you know, seventh round picks from the undrafted free agents. Again, I gave him Josh Woodrum from Liberty. You mentioned Brandon Dowdy from Western Kentucky. Uh, Paul mentioned, you know, in the in the late rounds, Kevin Hogan from Stanford, who's being talked about a little bit uh, across the NFL too. Uh, you, you really have to ask yourself too: Is are any of these players you draft in the sixth or seventh round are they going to be? bring more physical upside to the table than a Logan Thomas will, who's competing for that spot, or a Zach Dysart, who was good enough to be drafted out of Miami, Ohio. So, But it is interesting to, t- to touch on. And, and the Connor Cook one, you know, who the Dolphins have met with, and uh, just like you said, are, are said to like pretty much, if there is that slim, slim chance that he falls to the third round, kind of similar to going way back when Chris Sims fell to the end of the third round, uh, I think in the 2003 draft, could be that similar situation. But uh, something or, that we should. Or if, if I could, if I could, Ryan Mallett, you know, who fell almost yeah, exactly, yeah. I think, number 73 overall. That's a better comparison. And, and for yeah. much the same, much the same, much the same reason, really. If you if you look at the the. Uh, particular criticisms of him at the time were having to do with, you know, mainly off field, his attitude and, and how he affects people. And, um, you know, there were some rumors of drug stuff, but it was, it was fairly tame and fairly unsubstantiated, but it was more about his attitude and, uh, and what he would bring as a professional. And, you know, I think that's the question that people have about Connor Cook. Uh, aside from the accuracy issue, um, I know it's brought up before. You know what what pro comes in, and I, I don't know any pros that had a below sixty percent completion in college. And well, I mean it's happened. I mean Jay Cutler did it, and and Adam Gase has experience with Jay Cutler. So um, so I think that they're that's one of the reasons they they're comfortable saying, well, we know what this is. We know what the problem was on that front. Uh, we kind of understand this uh, maybe a little bit better than some other people do. Um, you know, it's just somebody to watch, keep an eye on. One quality that I hate people talking about heading up into the draft is leadership. Uh, I don't think leadership is a standalone quality uh, with these NFL draft players. Yes, some have a little bit more of that in their DNA than other people do. But, you know, look, when these guys come in the first day of camp, they're kids. They're going to be looked at as kids, whether they're a first-round pick or whether they're a seventh-round pick. Um, And leadership, 
I, I just think it's completely misconstrued in, in, in how it's taken on. It's it's not a standalone quality. It, and when you look at it, if you bring Connor Cook in, you draft him in the second round, he comes in, he's a little bit more NFL-ready than other second-round quarterbacks have been, and he spins the ball well and he wins the starting job, people are going to follow him regardless of what comes out of his mouth. So, yeah, the the quarterback position definitely is a is a attribute driven type of position, and we'll see if the Dolphins take a look at that position here in the mid to late portion um, of the NFL draft. Chris, uh, anything uh, that really sticks out to you about the Dolphins, about the NFL draft in general, that's really caught your eye, or you want to get out there that you've thought about over the last week? Well, I think that um, now that we're kind of honing in on on uh, on the draft and we're we're getting pretty close to it and we're trying to figure out what they're going to do at number 13 overall, um, I think that the three that are coming to my mind and, and coming to my attention most um, and that I'm hearing the most about uh, are probably the corner, Vernon Hargreaves, and the, the defensive end, Shaq Lawson, and uh, and also, of course, the running back that we've talked about, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, and then, of course, there's Eli Apple. I think that they're going to view Eli Apple as uh, a backup plan to Vernon Hargreaves. Many people don't think – the thing that I would probably want to say is that many people don't think that Vernon Hargreaves will make it to number 13 overall. And I would – caution against thinking that way because I think that where Vernon is generally ranked uh, vertically for these teams and based on the particular needs uh, and the way that the top 12 picks are going to play out, uh, it's it's actually not that hard to imagine at all uh, for him to be available at the number 13 overall pick, especially if both quarterbacks go. Um, in the in those top 12 picks. So keep an eye on, on Vernon Hargreaves. I know that the Dolphins love him. Uh, I think that they, or I'm, I'm pretty certain on what I've heard, that they have him as the number one corner. Uh, and so, well, I, I should speak, you know, I don't know what Mike Tannenbaum thinks. He's a wild card. He always is. But uh, I think that the Dolphins, as in the front office, have him as the number one corner. Uh, and it's the top need on the team. And uh, looking at, you know, there are simulators out there that you can use, like the fan speak on the clock draft simulator. Uh, and you can look at with different, it doesn't matter what board you use. You can use the CBS board or, you know, the composite board or, or all these different boards. You know, they're basically just rules-based, randomized uh, simulations based on these teams' needs and based on the rankings. And I get that Vernon Hargreaves basically shows up at the number 13 pick somewhere around 35 to 40% of the time. Um, so it's, it's a significant chance. And here's the thing, you know, you're looking at the two quarterbacks. If they go, uh, then you're also looking at Shaq Lawson, Vernon Hargreaves, and Ezekiel Elliott. If your goal is to get one of those three, then your chances are, you know, very, very good that one of them, one of the three is going to be available at 13 overall. So right now I would say what I'm thinking is that the Dolphins walk away from that 13 pick. If they use it and they don't trade it, then they walk away from that pick with probably one of those three players. And if it's not one of those three players because they're trying to force the need at corner, um, and they don't, uh, and they don't have a crack at Vernon Hargreaves after all. 
then I think it's going to be Eli Apple. Now, I know some people are going to say, why would the Dolphins have traded from number eight to number you know, 13 if they really wanted Vernon Hargreaves? They're going to lose their, sh- they're going to lose their shot at him. And I go back to that trade, and I go back to what Adam Gase said about that trade. It was an instance where the Philadelphia Eagles called the Dolphins because they wanted the number eight pick. They wanted into the top eight. And the Dolphins started naming off players. Well, you know, who's available? And they found two guys, two starters, that they could get in exchange for moving down five spaces. So they didn't, they didn't initiate this trade to go down from eight to 13 overall because they were convinced that, you know, this guy was going to be available here or this guy was not going to be available there. It was all about getting three starters instead of just one. At number eight overall, they can get one starter. At number 13 overall, they can get three starters, Kiko Alonso, Byron Maxwell, and whoever they take at 13 overall. So I think they they are looking at Vernon Hargreaves. I think that he's probably the most likely pick right now. You know, but we'll see how it goes. So um, that's that's what I wanted to comment on. What I wanted to uh, to talk a lot about a little bit more. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you on that. I I'm still of the opinion. I've said this for the last six weeks that the Dolphins really, by and large made the commitment to taking a cornerback at 13 because they looked at the board and said, you know what, if Hargreaves isn't there, Eli Apple will be there, and maybe they like, you know, Will Jackson or Mackenzie Alexander, even though those would be significant reaches there with the 13th pick, getting three starters instead of one. Is that the right decision? I don't know because I really do like a lot of those players in the top eight, um, specifically Hargreaves and Ronnie Stanley, but I, I don't think the Dolphins would go the offensive tackle route. I personally would because I think Ronnie Stanley, you put in there, uh, you have your 10-year starter at left tackle, and I think it's very possible he would have fallen to that, that eighth pick as well. So a lot of interesting situations playing out here as we approach the NFL draft in 16 days. Chris, uh, thank you very much for joining us here tonight. Uh, Hopefully, if your schedule allows, we can have you on the next two weeks as well. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I appreciate it, and uh, always nice to talk some, uh, some draft with you. Always nice. Have a good evening. All right. You too. C.K. Parrott joining us on the Fin side. Follow him on Twitter. He always has a lot of great draft information and Miami Dolphins information as well. So, Paul, that's it's about 8.15 here. We're 16 days away from the draft. Uh, anything that maybe we didn't cover in tonight's show? Um, I really don't think so. Um, you know, C.K. is always great at giving us the high and low on uh you know, every, every angle from the draft, whether it's from the first rounders down through the seventh, which which is always appreciated. Um, yeah, it, it's one of the things that, that I really got out of it, and I think it's the same thing that you get out of it, and, and, and even CK, is the wide receiver class this year isn't an overly inspiring one. Um, so, I mean, there may be a few gems that come out of it, but I, I'm not looking at this this wide receiver class and going, holy crap, this guy we got to go after no matter what round we're in, you name it. Um, you know, there's a lot of, ah, this guy could fill a role, but there really isn't too, too much of that out there beyond that. 
No, there's not. And going back to the receiving class, what I'm really looking for is, hey, if there's a player that I really like who who I think is a second, late second round, early third round type of talent, like a Farrow Cooper from South Carolina or a Braxton Miller from Ohio State, and we're there on day three early in the fourth round and he's still there, that's something that I would consider. But really has to be a value pick at quarterback and wide receiver. Thank you for joining us here tonight on the Fin side. And remember, if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Have a good night.